Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator from Men's Journal, Charles Thorpe. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Um, well, we're going to talk to three very interesting people who have a lot to offer and have a brand new documentary called Meru, which I've seen and is absolutely beautiful. It was the talk of Sundance, uh, won the Audience Award for Best Documentary. And um, so you guys are going to, you're in for a treat. Um, so let's check out the trailer first. I always wondered how I was going to die, and now, now I know. Meru is the culmination of all I've done, and all I've wanted to do is this peak and this climb. Conrad's reputation among climbers is flawless. I only go on expeditions with people that I know and that I trust. As a team, you're the sum total of all your experience. I had heard about Renan. I knew he was strong enough. When we got there and I looked up at the mountain, I didn't know what we were getting into. This is the test of the master climber. Jimmy and Conrad have climbed Everest four or five times. This is a whole different kind of climbing. 16 days up here. We lost half our food. And 90% of the mountain was still above us. The center of the universe is unattainable. Climbing with your mentors is a dangerous thing because you give them all of your trust. I gave them everything. The rewards of climbing are huge. The problem is you don't always come out of okay, people die, and then you can't justify it. That is the great dilemma. The idea of not climbing was too much to imagine. I've got two kids, my wife's there, and I'm responsible for them. I had this premonition. I didn't want him to go. If we go for it, there's a probability that we aren't going to come back. Am I taking too many chances? Can I control the risk? Of course you can't control the risk. It was something that I had to do. It was Conrad saying, you can do this. He knew that we had to trust him, and that's what we did. We had become so close. It was worth the risk. It was worth possibly dying for. Hey guys, so help me welcome Chai Vassarelli, filmmaker, uh, Jimmy Chin, uh, filmmaker and subject of the documentary, and John Krakauer, uh, author and you know, climber himself. Hi. Hi. Um, so that's just a portion, I mean, that's, that's really, uh, it just captures just a little bit of the majesty and the beautiful documentary that you guys have here. I mean. Um, I wish we could show the whole thing, but uh, unfortunately we're not <laughs> able to do that. Um, yeah. But I just want to throw it to you, Jimmy, uh, first. As, uh, as a subject and the filmmaker from the, from the get-go, what's the first time you heard of Meru, which is not a mountain that I think the entire American public knows or everybody's familiar with? Yeah, I first heard of Murray through my good friend and mentor, Conrad. Uh, probably... I'd, Actually, no, let me, let me take that back. I actually read about a few failures on Meru, mm. um, and then 
I don't know how long ago, but uh, I had another friend attempt it three times, and then, um, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then I, you know, Conrad wanted to go in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you have two climbing partners, Ronan and then Conrad, who were your friend, well, you know, uh, Conrad, who you had met before and had climbed with before, and then Ronan, who you had never met uh, before. Yeah, uh, Renan I didn't know very well. I'd met him yeah. um, briefly, but I'd never been on a trip with him. And so, you know, Conrad had been on a couple of trips with him, and basically, you know, he, he talked to me about Renan before, and he said, this, this guy is... You know, worth bringing on the trip. Yeah, and for people who might not know, you know, this climb on Miru is one of the impossible climbs. Nobody had climbed it before. You guys attempted this, and uh, no one had successfully climbed yeah. it at least. And uh, John, maybe you can tell us a little bit about you know Miru and how the, the history of the mountain and how many people have tried it before, and you know where the failures were in that. I mean, this is a beautiful mountain. It's as you can see, and it's a very important one. Uh, it's in India in the Himalaya, just west of Everest in Nepal, and it's considered to be the center of the universe by the Hindu people. Um, and it's such a, it caught the attention of a, of a handful of climbers, one of whom was Conrad's mentor, Mug Stump, who's in the movie. Um, mm. It was one of the greatest climbers who's ever lived. Yeah. And once these really good climbers started trying it, and failing, and more and more, you know, the number, a huge number of the world's best climbers tried this and failed, and the more they failed, the more they got the attention of other climbers. So, most of the world has never heard of it, but for the subset of the world's best climbers, it became sort of this private, you know, the person who does this will earn the respect of the best climbers in the world. And so it became, you know, <laughs> the more people fail, the more people wanted to climb it. <laughs> and, and what's the difference between Meru and Everest or a more traditional climb? I mean, what makes Meru so difficult to actually successfully climb? It's not the highest peak. It's only, only about 21,000 feet compared to Everest 29,000, but <laughs> it's big. You know, it's mm -hmm. this, a vertical mile. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a vertical mile. If it was all rock or all ice, that'd be one thing. But you, the, the hardest part is the top, and it's this vertical and overhanging, nearly blank wall. It takes a certain kind of climbing, it's called big wall climbing, it takes a lot of hardware. You have to carry a couple hundred pounds of hardware to have any hope of climbing that. But you gotta get that 200 pounds of hardware up the lower ice part and the mix part. So that is, people wouldn't, couldn't believe you had to do that. They'd think, no, we'll go fast and light, that's how we usually climb, and they get to the top part and wouldn't get anywhere. Mm. And Conrad, after failing himself, sort of figured out I'd get it. It's not pleasant. No one wants to do it. We're going to have to haul 200 pounds of hardware just to be able to climb. And a hanging wow. tent. There's no ledges. Yeah. So they have this little, hangs from a single point. It's like wow. a cot uh, hanging from a single point with a tent fly over it. Three people are living in it. Um, it rocks and the wind blows it and avalanches sweep over it. It's, it's a, you know, the, the, the amount of skills required to climb something like this, to even attempt it, it it's a, literally you need to have been climbing for decades to master. You, you would have no business going up there. Just the body of knowledge you need to, to be able to survive up there is immense. Yeah. So, Jimmy, I mean, it doesn't sound like a pleasant experience, <laughs> you know, all in all, but uh, what was the passion that drove you to need to do this climb? What was the thing that you and Conrad sort of agreed on as far as what 
what was it for you? Was it keeping you up at night? Was it something that you just felt like you needed to accomplish? Or uh, Yeah, I think that in kind of any pursuit in any sport or um, as a musician or an artist or a doctor, if you commit to, let's say, your calling and you want to take those things as far as you can. I mean, maybe not everybody, but if you, you, have, if you have the drive and the passion to push yourself, um, you know, it's the same thing on a mountain like Meru because Meru represents, you know, to a climber, kind of a penultimate test or experience. And after decades of climbing, you, you want to test yourself on something like that. So that's part of it. But also, you know, this was Con Conrad's 20-year dream, and he's, you know, my mentor. And, and I understood that mentorship because, um, you know, he'd been such an incredible, had such an incredible impact on my life. And then, you know, it was his mentor, Mug Stump's dream as well. So it was just part of this legacy as mm. well that drew me towards it. Yeah. And, you know, as a photographer, and, you know, who's had a number of National Geographic, a number of covers, um, was it instinctual for you to want to film this experience? Was that from the get-go? Was it, I, I want to capture this record of the success or the failure of this climb? Yeah. I mean, shooting on expeditions has, you know, been a part of my life for as long almost as long as I've been climbing. I was a climber first, but you know, I started shooting uh, about the same time that I became uh, a professional climber. And so those two really parallel each other. And, and you know, I'm drawn to both, both of those things you know, equally. So going on an expedition and not shooting seems inconceivable, really. And you know, talking about the couple hundred pounds that you have to wear on your back for this climb, I mean, when you're bringing along camera gear as well, is that a negotiation that you have to go through mentally, like what I have to leave behind so that I can take this camera gear? Yes, that it is. You know, I mean, every piece of gear up there is accounted for and, you know, thought through very carefully. Every single ounce that we carry is, you know, we weigh uh, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Uh, I mean, we literally, we, we take, you know, the tags off of our, cut the tags off our jackets. We, <laughs> you know, cut the handles in half off our spoons. I mean, you know, we do everything we can to save weight. So when you have to add uh, a battery or, you know, every battery, you're, you're wondering how many do you need? Mm. And uh, the camera equipment total probably weighed about 10 to 15 pounds. And that's, that's a couple days of food. Mm. And so you have to weigh those. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a clip right now that sort of shows Conrad in the suiting up process and the, the, the call to duty, yeah. he says. Uh, so let's show that. I think if you're lucky in life, and I don't know what percentage of people are, I don't think the majority certainly, maybe it's a small number of us, who have something that we're passionate about and we're good at, maybe. You gotta figure out who you are and what you are and, and what you're here to do. And that's a lot harder than it sounds, I think. 
but you can find that and do it, that's enough to build a life around. If you happen to be a brain surgeon or a brilliant computer geek, that's great. You know, you're benefiting the world, you're getting rich, and you found your calling. Now, for those of us who are climbers, you know, it's easy to go, fuck, did I draw a bad card, you know? I go out and beat myself to death on these walls and high peaks and make myself miserable. But you don't get to pick what your passion is. You know, it finds you. And, you know, to not do it, to not be true to yourself is the worst of the bad choices. But how do you balance, you know? And there's no good answer. As Muggs would say, well, why do you expect there would be? That's, that's not the point, you know? Life isn't supposed to be easy. Um, and it's not. Yeah, so that's great. Um, I have to ask you, Chai. So you you came to this project a little bit later, and so what was your what was your um, opinion about the the idea of this this climb, and what, what brought you into this project? So I came to the project after their two climbs had been finished. So I was only in 2012, and Jimmy and I met at a conference, and he heard I was a documentary filmmaker, and he shared with me this rough cut that they had put together, and. There have been some wonderful climbing films out there. Most of the time they are reenactments, so that means they have actors who restage the events. And basically, like these guys had this footage that had never been seen before like this. Like they were up there doing this incredibly difficult climb that we've talked about and filming at the same time. So it's it's completely unique and there it's just special and it's real and authentic. And then as a documentarian, you look at it and you're like, okay, can these characters come to life on screen? And, you know, they had these three wonderful characters. And then on top of that, are there built-in challenges and obstacles um, to the story so that you could see development? And they had that. So it was just, it was kind of a cool puzzle. And I'm not a climber. I was not particularly interested in climbing, but I was drawn to their human story and the story of friendship at the heart of this and I felt yeah. like that was kind of the secret here was that if we could somehow put together a film that spoke to the strengths of the footage they had already in a way that people who weren't familiar with the climbing world could identify with their journey. Yeah and uh, I mean there's a couple of moments that really show the emotion, the real emotion of the climb that you guys are going through. I mean, day 12, day 13 of that first climb, you know, you guys have been going through your food, you're on ration, like rationed uh, yeah. diet of a couple spoonfuls of granola, or I think I remember, and a little cheese. So I yeah. mean, so was there any point that you, you got the feeling like Renan or Conrad did not want the camera filming at that moment? Was that sort of a negotiation on the climb or were you open to film whatever you wanted? Yeah, at that point, you know, everybody's pretty familiar with the camera rolling and Renan's filming as well. Uh, there's a, you know, general acceptance of the boundaries and, and they were pretty broad boundaries because uh, it was really for posterity and, um, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with each other at that point. Mm. So. But one, something that we're, we're hyper-conscious about, though, is that we don't want the filming to hold up the climbing. And, you know, this particular expedition, you know, I've worked on a lot of different productions and expeditions where 
the expedition is focused on the production. And then, you know, there's this kind of expedition where it's really focused on the climbing. And really it's, you know, I prefer these kind of, you know, more climbing oriented trips because they feel more authentic and, and it's a real challenge to shoot. Mm. Uh, it's more journalistic and so, you know, there's the basic parameters. I feel personally like it's a, a personal failure if my shooting is actually holding up the climbing. Right. And uh, I also, you know, just try to be hyper-conscious of being really efficient and, you know, that's part of the craft of, of shooting up there. Yeah. And he's anticipating, I mean, I've gone on, been on expeditions where you know, a film crew's along who's not climbers, and they're always stop, stop, pose, do this. And you can't yeah. climb. And when Jimmy, he never does that. He's anticipating ahead, he's there. You don't have to wait for Jimmy. I mean, yeah. he, and you, people have no idea how hard that is to the energy expended. It's just climbing it is absolutely draining. Yeah. And he's like shooting too, you know, he's busy before, after, during. And it's, it's mind-blowing. It's, really, it's a really impressive thing to be able to get this kind of footage. I'm not talking about blurry butt shots, you know, yeah. from below. He's like, there. Or just rock, or as you're walking <laughs> up, you know, I feel... I mean, talking about that journalistic nature, I feel like there's a couple moments where you see a rock fall or, uh, you know, somebody sort of falter a little bit and your heart jumps as the watcher. I mean, are, you're, are you just as shocked by that when you're filming? Are you worried about what might happen in the climb when you're filming it or yeah. is that ever a concern? You are, in a way when you're filming you're kind of a little bit removed mm. um, and you know we break some of our own rules for sure. I mean there is a scene where I'm obviously belaying Conrad and he obviously needs some rope <laughs> and I'm filming him needing rope, and then you see the camera drop, and you know me going frantically course, yeah. like feeding out rope, and he's you know um, so there there's you know it's not always perfect, but I try to avoid those situations. Uh, it made a great cut point though because the camera swings <laughs> off and you know rattles, and then we cut. Yeah. But yeah. You know, there's, there is a little bit of this almost hiding behind the camera in, in the sense that sometimes you're suffering and you're so cold and you're just, you know, feeling, you know, losing, you know you're losing all the feeling in your hands and feet and you, th you think, oh, I, I'll shoot here right now. And it's like you pull the camera up to your lens and you forget that you're suffering and you're focused on the shooting. So right. it can be, uh, you know, useful as well. Yeah. And Chai, I think there's a lot of filmmakers out here and people who listen to the podcast. So what kind of hours are we dealing with footage-wise? I mean, you're talking about this raw, raw uncut footage that you had, you know, put in your hands. I mean, how many hours of editing, you know, what does it take to sift through to get the little nuggets that made this, you know, great doc? Well, this film is unique. So one, Jimmy and I worked very closely on how to put together this film, but it's unique because of the conditions under which they were filming. Um, it can't be overstated how extreme the conditions were so that even just at that altitude like you get winded quite easily so our take the takes are all quite short because they're holding their breath 
Mm. So it's like one, two, three, four, five. <gasps> so <laughs> you don't have these like yeah. long takes to work with. Yeah. And they brought a finite amount of batteries up um, and a finite amount of cards mm. because weight was such a consideration. And it's like, I'm always fascinated when Jimmy tells me about it, like they were cutting the labels out of their jackets. Yeah. They were cutting the handles off of their toothbrushes. And like even this camera kit, was the equivalent of two days of food, which they desperately needed because they almost starved the first time round. Yeah. Like they bought set, brought seven days of food for 20 days. Um, so weight was a constant issue. And also they had no way of charging their batteries. So it was a unique puzzle because they had this incredible footage, but there wasn't that much of it. So unlike other films I've made where we've had 400 hours of dailies, right. I'm talking about like 20 hours, wow. like in, and which is old school. Yeah. It's like shooting film yeah. and that and it's just even it's more of a testament to what a filmmaking achievement it was shooting on that mountain because uh, and I had nothing to do with that. He, Jimmy was thinking Jimmy and Renan were thinking about composition. They were thinking about like the composition of a scene, how to you know how to weigh these decisions between like I've got to climb and I've got to shoot now and so it, it's it's like a special it was a unique it's a unique situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jimmy, why don't you talk a little bit about how you guys feel about the final product? I mean, you and Conrad, and I mean, Renan, are you excited to have this piece of your history of this climb? Is it something that you think you'll look back on for years to come, or is it something that you sort of, okay, I accomplished that, let's move on to the next thing? Yes, part of me is, well, we're in kind of the midst of it because yeah. we're releasing the film, <laughs> so it's very much in my face. but. You know, Conrad said something to me that was really meaningful, and he said, you know, he looked at me and he said, you know, this, this is going to outlive both of us, you know. And that, um, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Uh, I have never had a project where I felt like that. Um, and, and so I'm very proud of it. And, you know, it was, it was really important for me that this film was... Uh, authentic to like the core community because that's my peer group and it you know I needed to feel like even the hardest core climbers were gonna we're gonna look at it and say yeah that's that's real um, but the goal ultimately was to reach beyond of course the core community and tell uh, a bit of a story and share a side of climbing that I feel like is lost on most of the mainstream audience which is an aspect that's really important to me, and that was the friendship and the mentorship that I find in climbing. So it's been received well, you know, it won the Audience Award at Sundance, and that was incredibly gratifying. And uh, to feel like I was reaching, or we were all reaching beyond kind of the normal constraints of the genre. Yeah. And you had this, you have a couple sort of interviews throughout the film where you're talking a little bit about your family and their acceptance of your climbing and whether they understood what the level of climbing yeah. that you were doing was. Was there anybody you know, in your life that was seeing this film and for the first time really understanding what it is like out there on the summit? I think, I mean, I've had so many friends you know, and, and um, co-workers and peers, uh, maybe not associated with climbing, that have come up and, and known I'd gone on the trip and just came out of the film saying, I just had no idea, mm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. Yeah. 
I think we yeah. have a, a clip now here that's uh, about your mother and yeah. sort of your, your agreement with her about your climbing. My mom had made me promise fairly early on. She was like, if you're gonna make this your life, you need to promise me one thing. You have to promise me that you will not die before me. And when I was on climbs and on expeditions, I would get to a certain point and I would say, okay, how close am I willing to go to potentially break that promise? So after my mom died, when the climbing started to get into that place, I remember a moment being like, well, I can go for it right now. That's awesome. And uh, John, I mean, so can you explain a little bit more about the shark fin and the history about that? This, that's sort of like the, the last point of this mountain, the very top of it at Meru, correct? Well, Meru has a number of summits. And this is just the most, it's not even the highest summit of Meru. It's one of equals, but it's the most striking line. I mean, climbers, you know, the evolution of climbing is originally getting to the highest summits was the most important thing. And after they were all reached, people started choosing, you know, different ways to the summit and then the most beautiful and difficult ways to the summit. And that's what this is all about. I mean, the summit of Meru had been reached. It's not that hard to go you know, the roundabout way. Um, so that's what this, this, this embodies sort of the evolution of climbing and modern climbing in that it's just this, climbers acknowledge this is an absurd way to spend your time. I mean, <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's just picking the hardest way, but that's, the hard way is usually a good way to go through life. Mm. I mean, the easy <laughs> path is not the most rewarding. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that sounds like, you know, new age bullshit, but it's really <laughs> kind of true. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the greater the challenge, the greater reward. I'm not talking about money. I mean, you know, if we were all interested in just money, we would not be climbers. <laughs> it's expensive and dangerous and miserable, but it's, man, you know, you do a climb like that and it is so satisfying. And, um, and it's not the kind of satisfaction, well, I've done that and never have to do it again. That's, that's sort of what's wrong with Everest now. I mean, Everest, people want to climb. There's a lot of people now who can pay $70,000 and be taught and guided up Everest. They got the trophy on the wall. Most of those people never climb again. Mm. It's about to them was the trophy. And climbing, for those of us who care about it, it's not about the trophy at all. It's about, you know, the experience and about the relationships and um, the things you learn and... Um, you know, it's hard to articulate, it, it, but it, climbing is, a, like I said in that clip, it's a, when it all goes well, it is such a cool thing. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's physical. It's mental. It's out in the... There's no more beautiful place in the world. I mean, the Hindu is the center of the Hindu universe for a reason. It's stunning, you know, so... It's awesome. Um, yeah, so now we're going to throw it out to you guys. Um, if you have any questions, let's, uh, let's, let's hear them. Um, what type of preparation did you have to do mentally and physically before you actually climbed the mountain? You know, for a route like this, it requires, you know, years, if not decades of, of climbing and, you know, spending time in places like Yosemite or Alaska and Patagonia. Uh, but, you know, once you kind of gain that base knowledge and skill set, you know, 
for this route specifically, you know, I trained for, you know, you think about it, you research it, you hear about, you know, all the different failures and why they failed and uh, you kind of put all of that information away and then, and then, you know, you push yourself with your training because of course you want to show up at, at this climb in, in peak physical shape. So, you know, that can be, um, I think I, you know, really put time into it for uh, six months of training and getting ready for it. So when you're um, climbing like this, especially, you know, mixing the act of filmmaking and climbing, how does it change you? How does it make you, when you come out of it, does it make you want to now just make films in the tropics? Or, <laughs> um, or, or do you want to find a whole other uh, realm of a new kind of challenge, you know, that, that entails not height and cold? And uh, John is a, also a journalist. Uh, how, does it, how do you see yourself covering this? I, I guess that's true for you as well. How, do you, how does that change you about your approach to covering and making films or writing about such experiences? Well, <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, uh, I get a lot of calls to shoot this kind of thing. Um, kind of pigeonholed myself there, but you know, uh, it's not like I just showed up on Meru and started filming. I've been filming and, and shooting expeditions and athletes for a long time. So, uh, you know, this was, you know, in a lot of ways, a culmination of all of my climbing experience. It required all of my climbing experience and all of my experience shooting in really extreme and challenging conditions. Uh, so it was, you know, like the ultimate test for me where I'm integrating climbing and, and the athleticism and the creativity and the storytelling aspects. Do I want to shoot in um, warm climates? <laughs> yes, I love surfing and, 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 you know, I shoot all kinds of different material, but usually the call is for me to go and, and do something where it requires me to be cold and, <laughs> uh, and in highly high angle terrain. Well, for, for me, a story is a story. I'd never thought about make, like working on a climbing film or an outdoors film, um, but it was a wonderful story. And that is always kind of at the center of what I'm looking for in any subject matter for a film. So well, I, I, I have to interrupt here, and she's, yeah. she's been in some really dangerous places. I mean, her <laughs> documentary filmmaking is not casual. I mean, it scares, it would scare the shit out of me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so just, just so you know, she's not sitting at home on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Afghanistan, riots in Senegal. Um, yeah. Kosovo. Yeah, Kosovo. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It was the first time I didn't have to be on location for. Um, I very much enjoyed that. You know. um, how cold does it get in the mountain, Maru? I'd say the coldest it got was probably in the negative 20 degree range. And because the mountain was facing northeast, it only got about two hours of sun every day. Uh, but it's hard to say with the wind. But I would say in, up high at night, it was probably easily negative, negative 20. I saw the film the other day. I really liked the film very much. Um, 
My question is uh, for Jimmy. Uh, I was curious that uh, one of the crime, Lenang, uh, had a uh, seriously critical accident uh, prior to this actually crime. I was curious how did you well prepare, cautiously prepare, on your perspective, uh, uh, climbing before climbing onto this actually mountain, sort of like a protecting a renown. Not just yourself that you have to challenge those actually on a climbing, but you also have to worry about the actually condition on a renown. So could you talk about that? Yeah, it was a, it was a challenge, it was a difficult decision. Uh, to bring Renan on, this, on the second ascent. Essentially, uh, Renan, one of the climbers, gets injured in a, in a very serious accident between our first attempt and second attempt. And we have to decide whether or not we're gonna bring him. And, you know, I, I'd seen him climb in 2008. I knew he was, he was a really strong climber. Uh, and he, as he was training to come back for 2011, I would check in, I would come and train with him, and he was just so driven and training so hard and, you know, really did make a, a, a strong comeback. Uh, a lot of our friends around us, including John, didn't think it was a very good idea, you know, <laughs> to bring him. And I think uh, part of it, and, and this is what some of the film addresses, is that you know, we, we decided and accepted that we wanted to bring Renan, even though that would probably lessen our chances of summiting, but because it was, you know, reflective of our, our sense of friendship with him and that really it was about, you know, sharing this experience with him again and less about, you know, summiting. But in the film, they kind of are both in the same position. Yeah. They, they're two accidents that transpire. Renan's is far more serious than Jimmy's, but Jimmy basically experiences uh, an, an, an enormous avalanche that he had. It's a miracle he survived. It, and I yeah. think that for both of them, it, it, it raises the question about their judgment in the mountains, one getting into an accident, another walking into an avalanche. <laughs> and, you know, what was so interesting for me is uh, when I was approaching the story, I was like, that's just, it's interesting. They have very similar motivations in that it's a comeback story for both of them. They both feel like in going back, they have to do that in order to prove to themselves that they can live the life they want to live. It may, it, I mean, it, it, it's risky. Um, and for Renan, it was far riskier because Jimmy didn't sustain the same, like nothing close to the injuries that Renan sustained, but. I think also Renan was in top shape, just given his, his injury, he was also like in peak physical condition because he was so driven to go back. Yeah. Well, uh, to see if they make it on the second chance on the summit, you guys should check it out. It's uh, New York, LA, and select theaters this Friday, and then rolling out nationwide after that. And uh, here in New York, it's in the Angelica Theater, so uh, make sure you tell all your friends to get there on Friday night. It's great to see you on the big screen. So let's give another hand to Elizabeth Shai, Vassarelli. Jimmy Chin and John Krakauer. Thank you.